Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Olga Andrienko, Head of Global Marketing at SEM Rush. In today's episode, we discussed SEM Rush's rapid growth and how it affected their churn rate, why they decided to switch their focus to customer retention, and how they use social media to identify their ideal customer profile. Olga also shared how SEM Rush used Easter eggs to gamify user engagement and how they use the SEM Rush community Facebook group to get users actively involved in product development. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Olga, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Great to have you today. For the listeners, Olga is the head of global marketing at SEM Rush. And if you don't know, SEM Rush is an all-in-one marketing toolkit used by over 4 million users and trusted by companies like eBay, Quora, and Booking.com. Olga spent the last six and a half years at SEM Rush and is an accomplished speaker at leading industry conferences. And together with the team, she has built one of the strongest international communities in the online marketing industry. So my first question for you, Olga, is what is one thing that has stayed the same throughout your time at SEM Rush? And what is one thing that is radically different today from when you started there? I think the startup culture is what we managed to preserve or to retain because I started when it was only 50 of us and right now it's 800. So I've seen really some radical changes, but this freedom to test freedom and creativity and then also people on the like lower levels being responsible. That, so that's the startup culture that we have. And then it's still there with 800 people. And wow. um, one thing that changed is probably the budgets. <laughs> so with them... Um, growing and then having more users then obviously we have run more marketing campaigns and then yeah we're able to do more and that's definitely what changed what changed and sorry just to make sure you said uh, you started when there were 50 and there's now over 800 people yes. in rush wow yes. that's uh, it's quite a lot of growth over the last few years and for yourself like what has that meant in terms of marketing uh, in terms of like the role and the progression that you've uh, seen at SEM rush I was one of the first marketing people that started. Now we have over 100. And for me, that meant that I just joined and had a lot of 
I had the potential of like of even CEO seeing what I did and I was the girl that did social media and right now it's well for people who join it's increasingly hard to also get that attention from uh, C-level for example and then the, to the results of their work so I think uh, with bigger companies that's um, something that just fades away this personal connection to yeah. say and personal touch and then so with the just yeah we're, we're a corporate company now I'm happy to say that we still feel like a startup but anyways with that we were absolutely flat so there was no managerial levels yeah um, and right now with 800 there's still three which is an impressive yeah yet, but I would say that still it's just so I joined a completely different company in terms of structure and also in terms of like I I, I definitely I would just went to the kitchen and chatted with the founders and I was able to understand a lot more about the business because I heard that from people who built that initially. And at this point, this is almost not possible. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. So uh, one thing as well, I think uh, you must have uh, seen happen quite a bit and through the transition uh, as SMS grew and scaled was the impact on churn and retention. And maybe you want to just give us a little bit of a backstory of like uh, where you at, where you started, if you want to run through anything that changed during the last six years. Yeah, absolutely. So when I joined, we almost, so when I said the budgets changed, that's actually what was the case. Like we were not spending um, that much in marketing, which means that also the, um, our, well, when the user subscribed to us, then their return on the investment that we um, had with this user, it was just, we, we would get our money within a few months back with the subscription price. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's because we were not spending much. So right now the lifetime value is, uh, well, it's just, <laughs> it's over six months, I think, and even more maybe just because we're, well, we investing a lot and then we were acquiring um, a lot of leads and eventually converting the clients. But the problem with the, yeah, so it's just, it's a completely different, when you see the return on uh, on the investment, when you're spending not a lot, and then when you suddenly start spending uh, much, then it's just, it's not a really good picture, and it's not, not a nice one, and it makes management also a bit nervous. Also, the, the journey becomes increasingly uh, longer, mm-hmm. and there are more touch points in the customer's journey, and that also... Um, increases the acquisition cost so i think because the people who knew you in the beginning and then when you invested a smaller amount of money then they needed less persuasion they just were ready to buy and then when you're um, acquiring new audience yeah and they need well uh, then you need to invest more so that is i think what probably well, companies with uh, what, who are willing to invest in uh, top of the funnel, especially, they need to be ready for that the return investment would take longer. And also, there, is a, there was an interesting impact on the churn because when you have new marketing campaigns, then there are people who subscribe and then they cancel within a few months. And so the churn rate um, starts well, getting lower. What, what I see and how I sell those people is that they were just not 
our guys because for the if you have new and bigger marketing campaigns then uh, you acquire bigger audience but then you don't have to worry about the churn rate of a uh, few first months because that would mean that this audience just tested something because it's new and then they didn't like what the churn that I always look at is the churn of five six months and more because that would mean that this is the audience that stayed long term with us and they're committed and if they leave that's a problem but if some if someone just just tested us for one month leaves that's not a problem because uh, that was not the like the audience that would stay so i always looked at yet five like well three months is the first point where i really was more well paying more attention and then the goal and then i'll um, ask my teams in different uh, markets to always look and talk to customers that been with us for half a year yeah and ensure that they stay with us because i believe if they've been using us for half a year then there is a potential that they will be using us for a year or more and these are the customers we definitely need to retain yeah so you mentioned quite a lot of things and i'll try to sort of recap and then unpack parts of it i think the first thing that you you're sort of talking into is that in the early days uh, there wasn't a lot of money so you didn't have much money to invest uh, into customers and really it was sort of the early adopters before crossing the chasm and before reaching sort of the early majority where you were in a fortunate position that people knew about the brand and they were maybe a little bit more sophisticated and knew exactly what they wanted and uh, got on with it. And then when you started spending more money now, as the company started to grow, you started to reach new audiences who perhaps were maybe a little bit less sophisticated, who perhaps didn't know as much about uh, SEM Ratch as your early adopters. That's when you started to sort of see the cost per acquisition go up and then also sort of as a result, impacting churn potentially on some campaigns, bigger marketing campaigns and attracting potentially some of the wrong customers. It's it's interesting that you say as well in terms of the way that you sort of segmenting churn and looking at retained customers of customers who stayed three and six months. How did you go about sort of determining this, the months that you wanted to measure and track? And what are some of the metrics that you're looking at around those? So obviously just looking at like retention at six, month six, but are you looking at growth at retention at month six? Like seeing, are you uh, expanding as a whole as a percentage of all signups? Like what are some of the things that you're trying to understand when it comes to retention and uh, customer acquisition? So regarding the months that I look at is that I see that churn is um, higher in two, two first months and then the graph is already started being a lot less aggressive or well, kind of, it's just, it's stable. That means that these first months is someone trying out and then deciding that it's just not for them. And then whoever stays for three months, then they already think, well, consider the platform as someone that they would be uh, using for the future. Yeah. So that's like, well, I just read the graph and then see the patterns and then try to identify them. And then, so the yeah, two first months obviously were something that was standing, was standing out. And then with us just increasingly, well, releasing more campaigns that it was a really good connection or correlation that I saw. And then for three months, that's already the user that was likely to stay. And then six months, I think that's just a point where it's, I would, I would say that's a loyal customer. Yeah. yeah. 
So if that's a loyal customer, then I want them to stay. And yeah, and that's that's why six months is so important. But that's we haven't based this metric on something that is just, I guess, my own assumption on how I would. And then in, in the company as well. So six months was something that uh, many leaders in marketing and sales were seeing as the like, loyal term for loyal customer. So then the, the thing as well is that uh, what you were saying previously is that as you started to spend more, and I think this is something as well, like, a lot of companies maybe don't look into enough at the beginning is in when you see growth is going well and steady, like churn is almost masked in a way. But then when you really start to put your like foot on the gas and you start to invest more into paid media and start to try to acquire more customers, this is typically where churn starts to increase then because like you mentioned before, potentially not getting the right customers. So with this in mind, like what are some of the things that you're trying to do and knowing like what the demographics look like of customers at six months in and those are the customers you're trying to acquire and get more of, what are some of the things that you're doing at SEM Rush to do that? We, we really work a lot with social media and our customer. So I integrated my social media team and customer success team where uh, they work together in answering all of the clients' questions on social media. And we tried to, so the logic was, is that the, if the customer calls, then it's the, we need to, to tackle this as quick as possible. But as I've learned, I also spent two uh, weeks and customer support department, just answering calls, answering emails. This is what I'd recommend for any marketing person in any SaaS company. So what I've learned is that people now call only if they have billing issues or really something with a card because this was triggers the call mostly. And that's the like some financial problems because well, sometimes card will just cannot be built or there's some bank issue and then if they can wait then they send an email but if that's something in the middle people always address um, and then talk to brands on social media so that's so the phone is absolute urgency then social media and then email but we uh, try to answer everything in in email within 24 hours anyways Uh, but social media uh, i ask for 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 this priority because well person can wait up until one hour on social media but not not longer and and so that's that's what we do and that that ensures that even if we well if the client has some issue with the account they feel that we are responsive and that's sometimes what actually well makes them and stay loyal because they know that even if like any technology has some issues or like or well slow down time or whatever like there is there can be some issues so what differentiates a good company from the bad for the client is usually the response that the company has and and that's where i wanted to ensure that we really stand out in a good way and that's why we work on social media so we use sprout social and uh, their listening tab and our customer support and our social media they have the accounts on both sides of the ocean and we have a person that's monitoring that tab during the whole day and is assigning different tasks to customer support or social media team and then um, the priority goes to the client's questions 
I like that a lot as well. And I like as well the way you've sort of classified the problems and the channels in which people sort of go to. And I think, at least in my case, it holds true that if there's something super urgent and I need it solved immediately, I'll try to get on the phone. The next best case then would be social media. And then the last resort would be email. But sort of really covering all bases and making sure that you're present. Because I think sometimes you get onto social media and you might send a message to a brand and then you get a message response saying, please, can you email us? And I think that for me is already like a very big turnoff because I've tried chosen to interact with the band. It's an opportunity to have a conversation with me and you've pushed me to another channel now to sort of put another roadblock. Uh, I really like that you've sort of uh, given that focus and emphasis to to the support and social. So uh, let's talk about as well, like some of the things now, uh, you mentioned you started investing more, you started to see an issue with churn. What was sort of like the response in the company? What are some of the reactions to uh, this this change? We, well, I, I believe everyone is super concerned about uh, retaining the users. And then that's one of our, major goals. So right after first payments, we also have a goal of the retention. And we, well, we worked with the development a lot on this. And then one other um, thing that we've done is that we created a private Facebook group for only paid users. And then product uh, department is there. When the client has tool wish, then we tag the product owner, which also makes, well, this is a great feeling of the client for the client that they impact the tool's future and also we have customer support there and then all of the and, uh, group moderators they, they know the product on the level of customer support so we ensure that there is a space where clients will get the priority well, treatment so to say and they also will get the access to the c-level and the product department and then they could talk about the tool on a completely different level so that's one thing that we've done last year. Like when you say all paid customers, like how big is this uh, group? Like how are you going about moderating? I think it's often, often quite a concern as well for people that, I mean, I love the idea of really being close to customers speaking. Like we introduced Hotjar, a customer advisory board, and I've seen the most change ever happen as soon as you started getting messages coming to Slack and interacting with product managers and with the team. But when you say Facebook group, sort of how big is it? How are you managing it? Like what are some of the processes that you put in place? We um, gradually invite customers there. So we started with 500 people. And then when we were sure that we could moderate um, 500 people and then there's a conversation going, then we sent another email blast to the, to just a, small portion of the newsletter database and then also we got the incoming requests because people started referring and mentioning the group so it's gradually growing we're not sending the invite straight to the whole database because that would be a nightmare just to moderate that and people would be upset so right now it's two um, and a half uh, thousand people Oh. And yeah, and then so we're sure that we're moderating this in a like in a proper way. Once uh, we we add more forces from our side, then I uh, will send another email blast. So it's just gradually growing. And the most important thing that and the metric that I look at well in this group is not how many users we have we have because that's uh, I know the final number we can get there. So it's not point and I just I see we measure the engagement 
And one, and then once we see the engagement went lower, um, then we see that it's just we need to engage them more, and that's that's the most important thing. Also, we look, so we we ask the email when when they apply to enter the group, so we know all of their emails. And then, well, exactly which clients are members of the group. And then, so we check their activity in the, in the tool, in the specific dashboard. And we're able to see what tools they're using and whether it was the spike. And then once we share the updates and the product updates there, if we see that the usage of the tool is growing, then we're able to understand that our marketing was efficient and the, also the art and the post was efficient. Yeah, I like as well, like making sure you're keeping them engaged. How are you then sort of dealing, and maybe it might not be this the case, but I'm sure there's quite a lot of different feature requests coming in through the channel. And how are you sort of moderating those requests, making sure you're keeping track of them, ensuring that sort of they're acknowledged, but also at the same time, you're not just going out and building and changing everything for anyone. It's more about making sure that you're doing the right thing. So what is the product team doing? What is your team doing to try and help like sort of bring all that feedback together and quantify it. Mm -hmm. We tag the product owner and from that point, we have an ultimate trust to the product owner's decision. And then the product owner replies to the client instantly in the group. Either they take it, the discussion further somewhere in the, in the email or in our private messages or, well, if the product owner likes the idea or they already have an answer why it can be made at this point or when it, sometimes it just doesn't make any sense. For example, we have different pricing plans and then there was a question why there is only one user per, well, per subscription. And that is where, well, our chief strategy officer actually joined the discussion and explained our pricing policy to the existing clients. And so this, is, this was nothing that we would be changing, but we always open on the discussion and then we wanted to be transparent. So I think it's not always... So it's ultimate decision if it's a tool wish and then it all depends on the product owner. But if that's something that we won't be building, we will be also open and transparent about that. Makes sense. Cool. So the next thing I wanted to ask you, because I was actually before the show going through just LinkedIn and looking at your profile and I came across a presentation that I think you did a growth trial, but it was titled Marketing Gamification Customer Attention Strategies. Do you want to talk us through a little bit about that? What did you do at SEM Rush around gamification that helped with customer attention? Sure. That was one of the really exciting campaigns uh, that we've done. And it was for Easter. So we, we worked with the product department on this. So we had a lot of new tools and we decided to hide Easter eggs in 15 tools. And so clients well visited one tool then there was a pop-up uh, non-intrusive but still that was saying that there's an easter egg and then they needed to un well, unlock it and then they started searching by clicking different functionalities and then another pop-up said congratulations and then offered uh, to tweet that they found the easter egg and then also gave a hint to a link to another tool where we hit the egg and and then so a lot of people took part and we had a winner list 
so people also were able to check how well, how they're doing compared to others. And we had a lot of tweets. I think it was, yeah, so it was around 8,000 tweets, but a lot of people were obviously, well, there could be up to 15 tweets or even more, uh, depending on how much they were playing from one person. So ultimately, we also used one of the Twitter extensions for Chrome and we were identifying who were tweeting. And then we, by the end of this game, we ended up with a, tool, with a list of actual users that was uh, 1,200 people in that list. So it was really great way to also identify the existing clients and active ones, obviously, on for social media team. That's very cool. And then did you sort of take a look at what the impact was on retention with those customers? Because I think obviously it makes uh, a lot of sense that uh, you sort of took this game around Easter time, uh, very seasonal as well, and then uh, sort of encouraged people to try different parts of the product to educate them. Was anything that went into sort of the follow-up and looking at sort of how this impacted engagement and retention for this cohort? Yeah, so we analyzed further usage of the tools and for some tools, the usage increased for a time. So there were a lot of people also who played but never tweeted and but they kept using the tools. So for, for the tools that were not uh, that popular, and then they were super new. That's why we basically decided to do it. Then, yes, the number of users went from like for four times that was the biggest, but then, yeah, two times or one and a half times more users. That was what we've seen in uh, more than five tools. And that was really, yeah, that, that campaign was super successful because by that time we released the Keyword Magic tool, which is one our one of our most popular tools now but that was the uh, first campaign that this tool was really a part of and uh, yeah so from that point uh, really the the tool really had the the growth of users and the attention that it well it has now so wow. yeah it was it was super successful for this specific tool very cool because that was going to be my next question sort of did you see just a spike in usage or was it something that continued even after the uh, campaign had finished for the users, like for these specific tools. So did you still see the same sort of figures or was it just a spark during the, the duration of the campaign? For some tools, it was a spark because they were niche tools and then I, you might not necessarily visit them very often. All the time, yeah. Um, yeah, but for, for some, like Keyword Magic tool, yeah, people stayed there. Very nice, because I, I think obviously this is one of a great ways to increase engagement and obviously like engagement uh, being the depth and retention being the breadth is that the more you get people engaged, the more likely you are to retain. So feature adoption is, is a very, very big play. So it's a very, very interesting sort of thing. So what went into deciding to do this? Like what were some of the order? I mean, did you look into any specific key actions that you wanted users to take and how did you decide like which ones were which? That was up to the product department with, and they looked at functionality and also it really, so there was a really human factor there because some of the, some of the product owners decided to focus on the really easy features to make it easy for the users to find the egg. And then some focused on less common 
and then so to encourage users like to well to dig deeper uh, which I, I well which didn't really work well so for the tools where the game was easy then we've seen a lot of results and then also a lot of completion and yeah so the emotional connection was like really positive and then whenever they checked the tool and tried to search for the eggs in the tool that where it was difficult and obviously they didn't find the egg and then well it didn't really have a stronger impact so I think the takeaway that we had and then what I would um, suggest to others is make it easy. So make it fun, easy, and do not really overcomplicate it because eventually it won't really bring the results. So it didn't for, for, the, for a few tools where uh, clients just could not really find anything. And that was my last question on this. Was there anybody that found all these things? Yes, yeah, yeah. There were um, a lot of people uh, found all the eggs, and yeah, and we even had a prize for well that that we randomly gave to well to one person out of everyone who found all the eggs. But the prize was really insignificant to everyone. Like they just played because they found it fun. But I think there were yeah, I cannot remember the amount of people that found all the eggs, but there were plenty. Very cool. So next question I had for you then is something that I ask for to everybody on the show as well. And you've been through quite a lot now at SEMrush. You've seen how the company's changed and evolved and how an aggressive acquisition strategy has an impact sort of on churn and retention. Uh, but obviously it's a necessity to keep growing as you start to scale. Let's say you move to a new company now and uh, you've come to, you've arrived here and you see churn and retention is not doing great at all. And You've actually been tasked now to try and turn things around. You've been asked by the CEO to try and make an impact. And you've been given 90 days uh, to make an impact and to show some results. What would be some of the first things you'd want to be doing in that time after joining? Mm -hmm. I will call, I will message those people who just dropped us. Yeah. So I would want to understand the reasons. And that's what we did. Well, now with the Italian team, they called 60 people. And then I would then maybe send an email if I can based on GDPR. But if I cannot, then I just, I, will, I would want to find a way. I would go to also customer support and try to understand the biggest concerns people have. And also... I would want to understand the, well, the frequently asked questions. And also, I would want, and then customer support knows those people, I would want to talk to 10 people who are really, who ask a lot of questions, but who, who are loyal customers. Uh, and then I would, well, build a profile of someone who is not really uh, staying with us and then who leaves. And then I would also understand the profile of a person who is a loyal customer. From that, I would understand who, who is staying and then what questions should I answer so people would stay longer. And then I would know well, who is not likely to stick and who I shouldn't bother about. Nice. So what you're sort of describing is you'd go through an exercise of trying to identify what the ideal customer profile looks like, but then also what your anti-personas look like. So who is not your customer 
I think this is a super valuable exercise to do for companies as well. And a lot of times as well, like we just focus on what the ideal customer profile is and it does help us in terms of marketing and building products and supporting them. But a lot of times all understanding who they aren't as well and who we shouldn't be going after and who we shouldn't be trying to acquire or build for is almost equally as powerful. It's interesting that you went ahead and do that. And then from your perspective, you'd then really be trying to go out and focus on acquiring these, these customers. Is that correct? Yeah. And also I would want to create content that would be really easily accessible. So I would actually save some time from customer support and then make sure that our existing clients would not need to write and ask, but they would have this information at hand. And uh, then I would start probably building my funnel and I would do that. So if I know the ideal customer, then I would want to interview at least three of them in the sense that if they, so I would want to understand the main questions uh, that someone is asking when they are not even considering and they don't know we exist, but they have some questions regarding. So if, well, if, to have the SM Russian example. So there is some marketing professional, not professional, yeah, there is some marketing person that's just starting and then they would not understand what channels and then how they even have to do marketing. So then I'll cover those questions. And then if we go to the level further, then so they know they have to do marketing and they know, for example, search already brings 50% of the traffic to the website. So they would then look at SEO and then, so what is SEO would be my content. And then what, and then after I identified the top questions, then they already know what SEO is and that's where they would be interested probably to, to choose the software. And that's where we already um, have to build the um, content regarding us or ensure that if on some comparison websites, then the information about us is accurate and also work on this content. So I would build the funnel uh, based on the questions of the audience and, and starting really way before when I talk about my company. So even like you said, highlighting there from like, even from a problem unaware stage, like when they're just sort of really trying to figure things out and then realizing that there's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, at least for me, probably this is one of the most powerful areas when it comes to solving for channel retention is really having a solid understanding of the problem that your customer has uh, and being able to sort of nurture them through the funnel, being able to educate them to begin with. So by the time they arrive to purchase your solution, they really have a good idea of what the problem is, how you're uh, product solves this problem and uh, why they're going to be wanting to pay you and uh, sticking around with you because I think far often they're not as well like we spend way too much time on resurrection strategies or dunning campaigns when you're trying to solve general attention but really if you're not solving it at the core which is the initial problem which is uh, when somebody's actually come to you and said I have a problem you have a solution help me then I think you've really lost the battle if you're starting to focus further down the funnel mm-hmm. yeah very cool Well, Olga, it's been a pleasure having a chat with you today. I really appreciate your time. Is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with now before we close off for today? How can they keep up to date with your work or follow what you're doing at SEM Rush? I think we've covered um, a lot, so I wouldn't add anything else. Yeah, so, and I'm happy to answer any follow-up questions and then just go to 
my LinkedIn or Twitter profiles. I'm happy to chat further. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for joining today and uh, wish you best of luck now going forward. Thank you so much. I hope it was useful. Thanks. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.